Hey guys, most of you know that I'm one of the founders here at the Motherhood Anthology membership along with Jenny and Allison, but I wanted to let you know that I'm also one of the co-owners of Indie Print Co. And at Indie, we say that we're on a mission to revive the art of printing by means of beautifully crafted heirloom albums and fine art prints. Now through February the 7th, Indie is offering our studio sample sale. That means 40% off of heirloom and fine art sample albums and 20% off of our fine art prints and our matted sample albums. You don't need a code, you just need to go on our site and set up an account. So just go to IndiePrintCo.com and click on shop to see all the lovely products that we have there for you. Again, the sale will be offered until February the 7th, so head on over there today and check it out. At the Motherhood Anthology, we strongly believe that success and education go hand in hand. It's why we spend so much time providing this community for you filled with countless resources for education and educators that pour into you from real life experience and expertise. Because when one of us succeed, the whole industry is elevated. And from that success comes an endless well of opportunity that only enhances the potential of others in our industry. Welcome to the Motherhood Anthology podcast, photography education for a business you love. My name is Kim Box, and I'm your host with the collaboration and help of my co-hosts and business partners at the Motherhood Anthology, Jenny Kruger and Allison Craig. Marie Elizabeth joins us today on the podcast. She's not only this month's educator in the Motherhood Anthology membership, but also an amazing success story to come out of our membership. In this episode, we discuss exactly what Marie Elizabeth did to utilize the membership, its education, and her own drive and experiences to build her very successful motherhood photography business at Marie Elizabeth Photography. Now I present to you episode number 10 and the second segment in a series of success stories on the Motherhood Anthology podcast. Well, I'm super excited to have you here today, Marie. I am so excited to be here and I just want to say, I'm not sure if it's been said yet, but you have the perfect podcast voice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I really worry about it because I'm so Southern that I feel like there are probably people out there going, what did she say? <laughs> oh, it's perfect. It's so soothing and it makes me oh, want to listen. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for saying that. You put this stuff out there and you think, what do people think about this? You know, so thank you for saying that. You're welcome. I'm I'm super excited to talk to you today because you've had quite the journey, I think. Like, I feel like it's kind of been a quick journey. I just know kind of your journey in the Motherhood Anthology. And I remember that you were, I think, a part of one of the mastermind groups a few years back. And so um, I think you're just like the perfect case study, so to speak, that's taken like all the the knowledge and info that people have put into the community and you've applied it so well. And it's just, it's just been so fun to watch your business blossom. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So it has been a really interesting and fun journey. And I would say I, I really, I'm really good at following directions. (laughs) I always tell, (laughs) tell people that. But yeah, I think in 2019, that was when I first decided I wanted to hone in on motherhood photography and see what I could do with this. And I don't think I 
really knew like what I knew I wanted to do this full-time eventually, but I wasn't sure the exact steps. And I began investing in education. And I think investing in education has been like the key for me with really building my business to become, you know, profitable and be able to leave my full-time job to do this as my full-time job. So let's back up. Tell me, tell me how, uh, just initially, how did you get into photography? Yeah. So it was actually right after I got married around 2016, I fell in love with just the world of wedding photography and I didn't know it could be as beautiful (laughs) as it was. And so I started playing around and I I officially began my business in 2016, but I didn't know what I was doing and I was photographing everything. And so it was around 2019 after I had my son that I was like, okay, motherhood. I didn't know motherhood photography could be this beautiful. And I wanted to be able to spend time with my family and, um, create art. And so that's when I honed in on motherhood photography and decided to try to make this my, my job. Again, I didn't really know what direction or the steps at that point. So it was like this process where I began investing in courses and memberships like mother and anthology and began paving away from there. So you, you were a wedding photographer as well? I wouldn't say I was a wedding photographer. I photographed a couple of weddings. It was more like, oh, what can I photograph? Right. So So all the things. All the things. Well, sometimes you have to do that just to learn. It kind of puts you on a path of where you want to be. So that's that's kind of a reoccurring thing, I think, in the podcast so far is like, I, I don't think I've talked to anyone yet that hasn't at least shot a few weddings and said, hmm. I like this photography thing, but maybe weddings isn't for me long-term. So, right. Exactly. So how long did you teach? So I taught for, it was 12 years, I think. So yeah, right out of college. And then just last year, I left my teaching job to become a full-time motherhood photographer. What did you teach? I taught middle school orchestra and middle school band. So, oh, well, that's a beautiful art form as well. It, absolutely. And I I love teaching and I love music. But being a teacher, like the job is is involves a lot more and photography has given me a lot more freedom that right. I desired especially with having a family. So, I hear, um, or I know of a, uh, quite a few people that that um, are photographers as well as teachers. Do you think that gives you some opportunity? Like, does that open some doors since you maybe um, have contact with so many families? Did that help at all? You know, I I don't think I photographed any of the students I taught, probably because they were a little bit older. However, I think there is a lot of skills with teaching that um, really helped me with my photography business, like communication skills, like the organization, the planning, all of that I think was really valuable, especially with like trying to build the business. 
And so when you, how far into teaching did you think, hmm, I want to, I think I want to make a plan for making photography my full-time business. Like how many years in and how many years did it take to kind of get there? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think it was shortly after my son was born, you know, I felt this tug to be more available and be more present and teaching, like you have summers off. So like you do have some extra time. However, it took up a lot of mental space for me. And so I, I just was seeking more freedom. And so it was surely after he was born that I started pursuing motherhood photography. And I didn't even know the world was out there. I didn't even know people did this full time. So I began investing in education slowly and it was probably the mid 2019, end of 2019, probably right around before the pandemic hit that I was like, okay, I want to make this my full-time job. And so I began investing in education to try to build my business enough. So I did have the opportunity to leave. Did the pandemic kind of give you the shove you needed? Did that make teaching more difficult? And yeah, I would think think for someone in music and band, that would make it very difficult. (laughs) It was very interesting transition to virtual learning. And you know what it was? It wasn't even the difficulty of teaching that really pushed me. It was being home more and realizing this is what life could be like. I could have more time to just be around my family. And I I had more mental space for everything too, to focus on my family and the relationships and just being present. So it was just really being homework that made me realize this is what I want. So how did your family feel, husband, family, that were they a little worried about you taking the leap and leaving your nice, secure job that you had gone to college for? (laughs) (laughs) I'm smiling and because yes. (laughs) So there's like no entrepreneurs in my family. So we're, you know, very stable job people. So my husband definitely was where he's a teacher too. So it was basically like, I had to build my business big enough. So I was already matching my teaching income to be able to leave. And so I did have parameters in place to determine, okay, I am able to leave my job. I'm able to do this full time. So it was a leap, but it was a leap with data. You know, I felt good about leaving my job, knowing that my business was going to a place that I could support the family. I think I read somewhere that one of the things that inspired you to get more into motherhood photography was that you didn't have newborn photos with your own child. Is that right? Yes. So when my oldest daughter, she's my middle child, when she was born, I did not get newborn photos done. And it was for the reason that I think many parents don't get newborn photos done or many moms. There's just a lot going on. We, she was our second child. So we were actually upgrading some of our baby gear. I was a photographer and I was like, I'll just get some pictures of her myself. And this was in January of 2020. So the pandemic hit and 
I was able to get photos of her, but we didn't have a lot of full family photos until about like 10 or 11 months later. And so that experience helped pave the way for the client experience I wanted to provide moms. I now provide like a client wardrobe. So moms don't have to worry about finding something to wear. Hair and makeup is included. So you don't have to worry about getting ready. Uh, True story. I did get newborn photos when my son was born. He's my oldest, but it took me four hours to get ready, which is crazy. So I knew that I wanted to make things a little easier for moms. Um, And then I also help with the printing. So, you know, providing albums and wall art, since I know it's so easy to have that fall to the wayside as well. So my personal experiences have definitely helped transform my business into a, a real service for moms, since I know I needed that at a time. Do you have a studio? Marie? So I don't have an official studio. However, my husband built, I call it my garden studio. <laughs> it's a, it's a shed in my backyard that I'll do short motherhood or maternity sessions in. However, I would say the majority of my work is done in home or on location. So I wouldn't market myself as a studio photographer. I do do some short sessions in there. So walk us through your kind of your client process experience since you're you don't officially have a studio but you do offer client wardrobe is that you said you do offer client wardrobe right yes yeah and hair and makeup so just kind of like tell us how you structure all that yeah so I do offer IPS I would consider myself a full service photographer so when clients inquire with me, um, we get on a call, I walk them through the experience. And after they book, we have a planning session, which I do virtually, where we'll plan, you know, nuts and bolts of the session, talk about what they want to do with their photos in terms of prints. And we'll plan wardrobe. And I have a client wardrobe. And I have pictures of all my dresses in a gallery. So my clients have a chance to see everything before their session. And they'll usually come and pick up the dresses they want to try pre-session, unless it's a newborn session where I'll just bring them with me. And then we photograph their session and a few weeks I shoot with film too. So it does take a few weeks to have their galleries ready, but Once everything's ready, we meet on Zoom again, and I show them their images in a beautiful slideshow, and then we design what artwork they want, whether that's an album or a wall art, matter prints. So the aim is to make it a full service experience that is truly serving them to meet all of their needs. Okay, so with your Zoom cell session, tell me about just the logistics of that. Like, is there software you use for the, are you showing them a slideshow? Tell me how that works within Zoom. Yeah. So I use PickTime for my galleries. And so I create a slideshow from their gallery in PickTime and I'll play the slideshow for them, which I really love because it's the first way they experience their photos. So it's set to music they get to experience each image one at a time. It's an experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I find as moms, 
especially like with changing bodies, it's so easy to just quickly scroll through a gallery and look at ourselves where when you have this experience of viewing each image one at a time, you're able to soak it in and enjoy it. So we do the slideshow and then we talk about what they want to do. And likely when we've already talked about it before that point. So I will likely have an idea if they're looking for an album or wall art. And I use Swift galleries for wall art. So clients can like send me a picture of a space in their home and we design it right then and there and same with an album. So we'll pick the pictures that they want for either their wall or the album and I'll, you know, heart those and just plug those in to either Swift galleries and I use album stomp for albums. So we'll make it and yeah, it takes care of the process for them. Yeah. So even though that, even though we have a print lab, I have always known the value of a slideshow for sales appointments. Like I know so many, I know Jenny and Allison used to use um, proof prints and lay them all out. And I do see, you know, you're trying to sell a tangible product. So I can see the reasoning behind that, but I just know from experience, there's nothing like those moving images to a beautiful song that pulls at your heartstrings for sales. Yeah. (laughs) Your goal is to get tears. (laughs) Yes. I'm ashamed to say we would say if they cry, they buy. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) Maybe none of my clients are listening to this (laughs) podcast. Well, I mean, the truth is it pulls at their heart. And I mean, if they can I want them to feel when they're looking at their images, like more than anything, I want the images to bring them back to a moment, to a feeling. And so slideshows help with doing that. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite song? Does does pick time allow you to, I guess you get to choose music, right? It does have some options there. I'm trying to remember the name. There's one that is like a lullaby song and I can't remember the exact name, but it is perfect for newborn sessions. And usually, I mean, it makes me cry. (laughs) We, you, it's so funny. We use Never Grow Up by Taylor Swift. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And it has that line in it that says, I just realized one day everything is going to be gone. Like everything Mm -hmm. I see, you know, and it just like, it makes me tear up thinking about it now, but we had like moms that would come back. It'd be the third child. We were still playing Never Grow Up yeah. by Taylor Swift. And they were like, this dang song. Yeah, it gets me. It's still <laughs> applicable. <laughs> oh, but it's so good. So let tell me a little about how your pricing is structured. So are you a la carte? Do you have collections? Yeah. So I'm a la carte. So When clients first book with me, they pay a creative fee or like a retainer. And so they pay that up front. Do you mind sharing how much that is? Yeah. So I'm getting ready to raise my prices, but right now my retainer is $375. Okay. And then they sign a contract. We photograph their session. And at their ordinary appointment, they have the opportunity to finalize what artwork they're going to purchase. So my digitals are 1600 and I only do full gallery. I am hoping to raise those probably to 1800 in the new year. And then 
albums start at 2000 and then wall art um, is, it depends on the sizing, but between like 700 upwards of the 2000 range per piece. Okay. And with your albums, do you sell them by spread or by image? How do you price those? I do by image and I do find it really um, gives moms an opportunity to pick their, their favorite images, you know, so it's not as overwhelming in that sense. And then I design the spreads and I usually design them very simply just so they can soak in each image. Okay. And then wall art. So are most people purchasing a single framed image or collections or how do you set that up? So it's by piece. And I always tell moms, you don't need to know how many frame prints you want. Like I will have them send me a picture of a wall they're thinking of. And I just plug that into Swift galleries and come up with a few different designs for them to choose from. So sometimes they know where they want and they know exactly what they want. Oftentimes those are statement pieces. So just like one piece or two pieces, but I've done like stairwell galleries or just like a large wall in an entryway or living room. And I mean, those can be anywhere from like three to nine images. So we'll play around to see what works best in the space. And I usually give them like three or so options. So it's not overwhelming. Who are you using for framing? I use Musea. I just, I love them. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if that was something you tried to tackle on your own or. Oh yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I love their quality and I am very much a like pay for time. Like I, I I don't know if I'd have the patience to do it myself. Right. Right. Well, framing is, is very meticulous and there's nothing worse than having something framed and finished and seeing a speck or a spot or so I totally get that. Did you start out offering products in the beginning? No, I did not. I knew I valued products. So I knew it was a direction I eventually wanted to go to, but it was so intimidating to me. So I was all inclusive for the first few years. And I think it was right after I did the motherhood anthology intensive that I began offering products, but it did take a while to pick up and you know, I made some mistakes along the way and I learned from experience and I took education. And so now it definitely is a very important part of my brand. And I would say most clients walk away with prints. So you said you made mistakes. Tell us about those. (laughs) (laughs) My mistake. Okay. So I think the number one mistake was mindset. Truly. I was so scared to offer wall art and albums. And it was almost like I hoped they wouldn't buy art or albums because it just scared me. I didn't, I I think at the time I wasn't using Swift galleries. I was using Photoshop for making wall galleries and I didn't feel super confident with it. Um, I just didn't have the experience under my belt and that confidence, it it or that lack of confidence, it was like in my subconscious. And so I wouldn't put it out there so much. This is what I did. And this is what I could do for you. 
And so I wasn't sharing a lot of wall art or sharing a lot of albums. And so naturally people didn't buy a lot of wall art or albums. So it definitely, I think mindset was my biggest pitfall at first. And so your fear, was it around being able to create the art or about around what you needed to charge for it? it I think I think both, but yeah. definitely a large part was the fear of charging that much. I know at the time I couldn't invest in photography like that. And I grew up in a single parent household where we didn't have a lot of money. And so the idea of spending that much or like asking someone else to pay me that much was just mind blowing. Mm -hmm. And so I had to do a lot of mindset work. And what really helped me was understanding this, this is really a service. And I understand as a mom now from my own experiences, like I don't have albums for my babies. And I wish I had albums. I So I'm in the process of making albums for my family for the past few years and for my new for my babies when they were newborns. And so I can see the value in what I offer now. So I'm excited to share it with, with clients. I want them to have these things. Right. So you is there still fear you're over the hump now? I wouldn't say I'm ever over it, but I, I am pretty confident with what I have to offer. I will catch self-sabotaging thoughts. So for example, I had an ordinary appointment last week where it was this family and they said they were initially interested in maybe like one framed piece from this session. But as the ordinary appointment was unfolding, the dad wanted he wanted more pieces. He wanted more frame pieces. So like I was calculating the invoice and I was having like some, some thoughts like, oh, this is not what they wanted. But then I had a, I can catch myself with those self-sabotaging thoughts now and be like, okay, that is not true. Like they are asking for this. And I know that this is something that they will love. And it ended up being a $4,000 sale. So I just find that I catch myself with those thoughts now and I can redirect and know that this is something that they're asking for. And I know that they will cherish and love. Do you have any sales advice, like anything that you could tell someone else that they could apply that? Yeah. So I think the two biggest things for me are fake it till you make it. <laughs> Even if you're not feeling super confident before like your first ordinary appointment, I think how we talk and how we act like sets the stage for what our clients are going to do. Like when I go to Jiffy Lube to get mm -hmm. my oil changed and they tell me I need my filter replaced, I replace my filter <laughs> because... Right. I don't know anything about cars and I, I just, they kind of set the tone for what's going to happen. And not that I'm telling my clients what to buy at all, but I am so excited to share with them. This is what we can do with your images and I'll give them a couple of options and then they'll, something usually will speak to them. 
and they'll be excited about that. So by setting the tone with confidence and then knowing that this is a service and that they're going to have these heirlooms, you know, I think about so many moms who have all their photos on the cloud or on their hard drives. And like, how are their kids going to get these photos? So I, at the end of the day, I know this is something that will be cherished. Absolutely. So I want to change gears a little bit. So we're super excited at the Motherhood Anthology membership to have you contribute to our content this month. And so I wanted to talk about a little of that information that you shared because um, your story of how you, you know, you went through a transition yourself and you raised prices and that, that was a scary time. And so many people in our community make that same transition. And so if you wouldn't mind, let's just talk through that a little bit. I think you said, we'll just start with what you said about how you used your day job as a teacher as fuel. So if you would just start there and explain that a little bit. Yeah. So basically what I did was I did not pay myself from my business until I left my teaching job. So all, so my full-time teaching job was, you know, it was paying my family and my business, all the profits, all the money that I earned, I just poured back into it to push it forward. So that was primarily invested in education. Like I would try to find the holes in my business and fill them with education. And I would also invest in things like client wardrobe pieces and artwork samples. So I was really trying to think with the end in mind. And like, I knew that once I left my full-time teaching job, I would be paying myself. So yes, I would still invest in my business, but it wouldn't be everything like it was while I had my teaching job. Right. Did you have a number, like a, a number in your mind that, that you needed this much in the bank to leave your job, or you don't have to share that number, but did you set yourself up that way at all? Yes, I did. So I decided that the parameters that were going to be put in place to leave my job were number one, I had to have at least three months salary equivalent of my teaching salary saved up in the bank, ideally six, but at least three months. And number two, I had to be booking on average four sessions a month, and that would um, replace my teaching income. So once I was, once I had both of those things, that was my green light that, okay, I'm going to leave my job. And it's tricky because with teaching, you have to tell your school, your employer that you're leaving usually between March and May. And I had my third child, my daughter in February of this year. And so there was this little pause where I wasn't doing any sessions. And then I like jumped back in for cherry blossom <laughs> sessions in DC um, at the end of March. And I knew I had to make that decision by May, but like by that time I was booking like, yeah, at least four sessions a month. So I knew I had what I needed to be able to tell my school I wasn't coming back. So is that your average, you, you do about four sessions a month? So it's actually been a little bit more, which 
I am going to be raising my pricing, as I mentioned, to hopefully get it to like four sessions a month. But and fall was busy season. So I don't think that's an accurate portrayal of the rest of the year. But I would say my average is six sessions a month right now. And the average sale is probably 3000 Last week, I had a really good week. I had um, three $4,000 sales and then a couple um, smaller sales. So it fluctuates. When you talk about mindset, we've talked about this before, but just having proof from someone else that they can do this, that they can leave their, their day job, that they can make a great living doing something they love that gives them you know, the family life that they want. So you're just, you're a great inspiration. So thanks for sharing that. And thanks for sharing numbers because, you know, that's one of those things some people don't, don't talk about. And that just um, gives everyone else so much, you know, hope and motivation. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, you're welcome. I think it's good to have concrete information in front of you so you can see what's possible. For sure. So Also in that transition, you said there are three things that you focused on marketing, pricing, and brand. So if you, if you wouldn't mind, just touch on those and how they played into the transition as well. I found that by focusing on like those three pillars or foundations, marketing, brand, and pricing, I was able to like, just see how my business was going to grow. I wanted to make sure that each of those pillars was really strong. And then what I did was I tried to identify any holes in those areas and invest in education to help fill those holes. So for example, my brand, I felt like that was the first thing that I kind of had up and running. And I felt like, I felt like I was confident with the brand I was putting out there, but I think it's so important to, you know, establish a clear brand with consistent messaging. And I think the number one aspect of a brand is your work. So by establishing consistent work that clients knew what to expect from, and then focusing on that consistent message through copy, whether it's your website or emails or Instagram captions, And then lastly, you know, the visuals, but I wanted to establish very clear messaging with all of those. And so once I felt like I had that, um, I had had raised my prices and I wasn't getting the number of clients that I needed the average of four full sessions a month. And so for me, the biggest area that I had to work on was marketing. So I knew I had to widen the funnel of people to my website since I was charging these high prices. So marketing took a lot of work for me, but I think that's a part that there's always going to be this transition period, right? When you raise your prices, you're likely going to be starting in a brand new market. And so with that, you need to be able to bring a lot of people in to see your work and see the value you have to offer. So for me, I focused a lot of time and energy into SEO. I was pretty low volume before I um, raised my prices. And so I was still low volume when I raised them. And so I knew I had to get more people to my website. So I knew SEO was a great way to do that. And in my opinion, like not all forms of marketing are created equal. 
with SEO, like people go to Google to find solutions to problems. So like they're ready to buy, they're ready to purchase. So I knew that it was important for me to be, to get on page one for local search terms. So I worked on SEO. I, I invested in SEO education. Um, the membership has great SEO content. And once I was on page one, like that was a huge game changer. I began getting a lot more inquiries and essentially widening that funnel. With that said, it's not a good idea to place all your eggs in one basket. So I was committed to being consistent with posting to Instagram. I post Instagram probably between two to four-ish times a week. And I get a lot more engagement from my stories. So I post the stories probably almost daily and I, that engagement really, it's a great place to make connections with current clients, with potential clients. And so I try to think of Instagram more as like a place to connect with other people, including potential clients. And in terms of like posting, I think of that more like a job and then, um, email marketing. So that's probably the one that I'm need the most improvement with, but I try to send one email a month to my followers or people who subscribe rather. And I have like an email opt-in. So when they come to my site, they can opt in for that to get like a freebie. And then I have an email welcome sequence that nurtures them with three to five emails. I feel like that was a lot. (laughs) No, no, no. So let's go back to SEO. Tell me how long after you started focusing on SEO did it take you to get to page one, would you say? Okay. That's a great question. So, and it, okay. So for me, it took me probably nine or 12 months. And I think that was because of a couple factors. So first, when I began focusing on SEO, I did not do keyword research. And so I think I could have worked smarter, not harder at the beginning. And I I think I was trying to rank for some search terms that just don't get a lot of traffic and were also hard to rank for. So I think I could have started ranking much faster. Around the six-month mark, I invested in some SEO education because I was not seeing the results I wanted at that point. And the SEO education really was a catalyst. And once I began to apply all of that, I I began ranking within three months. Now, the work I had done like six months prior was probably very helpful, but it took me overall, I would say like nine months or so. It probably could have been faster. And with that said, some of my search terms, you know, there's... SEO difficulty levels for certain keywords. And so some keywords I'm ranking for are more difficult to rank for than others. So the ones that are more difficult to rank for took the longest. I know that SEO is even for me, like it's one of those things that's not fun to think about and it can be confusing. And, but we hear more or I hear more and more that that is really a very important thing to focus on. So is there one, one thing that you, well, you did say the keywords, like researching the, the keywords. Would you say that was if you're going to start somewhere? Yes. I think totally start with keyword research. And 
I talk about it a little bit in the content and there's content in the membership solely on keyword research, mm-hmm. but definitely start there because <laughs> don't make the same mistake uh, as what I did. So initially when I, <laughs> when I first started working on SEO, I think that my like SEO title for my website was DC, Maryland and Virginia maternity, newborn and family photographer, which those are all things and I do and places I photograph. However, nobody is searching DC, Maryland and Virginia, <laughs> newborn maternity and family photographer. No one's searching that. And so it's important that you aim to rank for keywords that are actually searched for. And by doing keyword research, you can determine, okay, this is a keyword that people search for. But by doing this research, I found out that this similar keyword is searched, has greater traffic and is easier to rank for. So you can use tools like Ubersuggest and Moz. You can enter in keywords that you think you want to rank for and see how difficult they are to rank for and how much traffic they get. And then what similar keywords are out there that may end up be easier to rank for. We talked a little bit about just when you make a decision, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise prices and there's going to be a little transition period. There's going to be, I think it's totally normal to expect that you may hear crickets for, for a little while. I think that's something we hear in the community like oh my gosh people i've done this i've i've made these changes raising prices or changing from you know all inclusive to now offering products and doing in person sales and there was a lag a little lag for you yes there was and part of it was because i just wasn't bringing enough people into my website at the time so that's when i decided okay i need to focus on marketing and I began my SEO work to try to get to page one. But during that lull, it's almost like this golden window of opportunity. And during this window, you can, one, create the work that you desire, like your ideal work. And you can do that through styled shoots. I did a couple of styled shoots during that time, and they were so fulfilling just for my creativity, but also I ended up getting clients who wanted things from those styled shoots. Like I did a couple maternity sessions with lots of florals and these beautiful gowns. And then when moms found me who wanted that, we were able to create these beautiful sessions that really inspired me. And then while you're doing these styled shoots, like it'll give you work to put out there, you know, to blog about, to post to Instagram and social media. So it's showing potential clients that you're an open business, you're working, but you're really speaking to your ideal clients with these styled shoots. So it's a good idea to do these ideal shoots before you get busy with with paid work. And hopefully that paid work is in line with these, you know, ideal work that you want to photograph. And then during this window of time, it's like, I was trying to find the holes in my pricing, 
my brand and my marketing. I knew my pricing was pretty much where it needed to be. So I thought, okay, this is good for now. I'm going to focus on my branding and my marketing. And for the most part, I felt like I was meeting um, the brand messaging through these style of shoes. Like I'm really going to put out there the brand I want to be, get these clients who are ideal. And then the marketing was really where I invested a lot in. So I invested in um, some education on SEO. I invested in education on IPS and selling artwork. So that way I could fill the gaps and become really confident and widen the funnel of people coming to my website. Yeah, I think there's so much magic that happens with styled shoots because it just allows you to do what you want to do really with every session. I think it puts you in that frame of mind that I'm shooting this for me, which is really, I think, what most of our clients want us to do anyway. Like, I think we somehow, maybe when we're shooting for clients, we're in the mindset of what do they want? And, you know, maybe looking around at what maybe competition is doing and feeling like you have to provide that expectation somehow. But I think it's really what the client wants is for you to do your thing, you know, and create that magic. And yeah. And the clients come to you as the expert, especially once you're, once you're, you know, charging a lot per session, they see you as the expert and like, they want me to make decisions for them. And so they have made the decision already to choose me as their photographer because of my work and marketing and all of that. And so they want me to, to create based off of all all the previous sessions that they've seen. I don't know if I ask you this, but when you change things, when you increased your pricing, did you make a small jump or did you make a large jump? I made a large jump. So I think I was at 750 all inclusive. And then I jumped from that to this IPS structure with the creative fee and the digitals. And I think my creative fee when I jumped was 300 and my digitals were, I think, 1500. So it was very scary. <laughs> Did you um, get pushback from clients? Yeah. I mean, I definitely lost some, some clients who had been coming to me and that doesn't bother me now. I was very scared of like those returning clients who would reach out for a session And then I would tell them, oh, by the way, this is my new pricing. I'd be so scared to do that initially. But, you know, I did a lot of mindset work. And like once I really realized everything, the value of what I was providing, it just, you know, some clients are looking for, they may not even understand the value now, you know? So I was able to just let go of that and, realized that these clients who could no longer afford my services, they would find someone who would be a good fit for them. And they were going to make room for clients who really valued what I had to offer. And they're out there. You know, it's hard to see that at the time when (laughs) you're hearing no's, but those ideal clients who want this experience, who want these beautiful heirloom artwork products, they exist. So I'm going to give you some just rapid fire questions. What was your 
biggest pain point would you say in your photography journey? That's a good question. I would say consistent marketing. Like I just had to widen the funnel of people coming to my website. And so once I invested in marketing and really brought those people in, it it made my business take off. What was the biggest change for your business? I think when I made that leap from all-inclusive to providing the artwork, especially since there was such a large transition period. Did you think about going back? Were you like, "Uh uh-oh, I've messed up? You know, I didn't. And I think that was because I had my full-time job. So it was kind of like this nothing to lose mindset and I'll figure it out eventually. And, you know, there's faster ways of figuring it out as in like investing in education. But I think that full-time job really provided stability for me Mm -hmm. to keep going. Mm -hmm. I've heard more than one person say that they just made up their mind they were going to do it. And if it didn't work, they were just going to, no, and I'm not saying you should quit, but Mm -hmm. I think it's when you make up your mind, I'm doing it no matter what, like it's either go big or go home kind of thing that, that it just worked. I think it's the confidence behind that, that I'm going to make this work that. Yes. Yeah. So my last year of teaching, I left the school I was at and it was an amazing, like ideal school. And, um, I loved it, but it was so time consuming and took up so much mental space. And I took a part-time job. Ironically, it was at my husband's school. It was not intentional, but it was part a part-time position. And by choosing to work in this part-time position, it was this subconscious choice to leave what was my thing, my passion, teaching music to focus on my business. Mm-hmm. What do you wish you knew when you first started your business? The power of education. (laughs) I would have invested in education so much sooner if I had known what a catalyst it would have been. You know, people have figured things out before us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I was hesitant to invest in like any big courses or memberships for a while, and I don't know what I was thinking. Like, was, were things going to magically work out? Like, people were just going to come to me based on my work alone. And so, if I guess I would just recommend for people to invest in their business by taking courses. Best advice you were ever given. Okay. I know this is cliche, but be yourself. <laughs> I know that sounds so cliche, but. To me, like when I was building my brand, I initially tried to be so many other people's brands. And like I tried to have sessions in these beautiful fields at sunset, or I tried to do like more studio type work. And those are so beautiful, but it wasn't me. And when I did these styled shoots during this transition period, I tried to really dig down to determine what truly spoke to me as an artist and made me happy. And these styled shoots ended up being in these gardens and these historic homes. And 
they fulfilled me so much and then brought in clients who valued that and who wanted that. So by really trying to figure out what I wanted and and who I was, like it allowed my brand to just, I think, be clear to potential clients who wanted them. So what about next year? Do you have goals for next year? Anything new? I know this time of year, most of us creatives start to get in the mode of planning and dreaming. So what are what, what do you have in store for next year? Yeah, that's a great question. So I want to, I'm raising my prices. So I'm trying to do a little bit less with sessions so I can have more time and mental space for my family, even more so than I have now, because like I'm, I'm building a business I want, you know, and I want to be able to have this time with my family. I also, I think I'm going to be delving a little bit into helping other photographers do these kinds of things too, just since I went through this journey on my own and, um, I shouldn't say on my own, I invest in a lot of education, (laughs) but it doesn't need to be that hard. So I think I'm going to be delving a little bit into the education realm too. That's exciting. Yeah. (laughs) And then our final question, how do you define success? It's such a great question. And I think it's something that photographers should think about a lot because it's so easy to get like caught up in one style or one way of doing things. But to me, success is knowing at the end of my life, whether that's tomorrow or 60 years from now, that I spent my time well. I'm always trying to make sure I'm getting fulfillment, you know, from my job and my creativity, but being able to spend that my quality time with the ones I love. So yeah, knowing I spent my time well. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Marie. Tell everyone where they can connect with you, um, where they can see your beautiful work. And everyone should definitely go to your website and look at your work because it's so, so beautiful. You are so kind. Thank you. It has been such a joy to be here and like a full circle moment, especially since the motherhood anthology played such a large role in building my business. So my Instagram handle is at marie.elizabeth.photo and my website is www.marie-elizabethphotography.com. Thank you. I hope you have a good day. Thank you so much, Kim. It's been a pleasure. Bye, Marie. Bye. Marie was so gracious in her openness and business testimony today, and we're so grateful for her sharing exactly how she did it, from a small dream to a thriving motherhood photography business. I hope you were able to gain insight, encouragement, and motivation from this episode. The membership you heard Marie Elizabeth talk about so fondly will be opening the first of the year. We don't want you to miss out on that opportunity, as well as a whole host of free resources already available to you. Simply sign up for our email list at themotherhoodanthology.com. And while you're there, download our complimentary course titled How to Market and Fill Your Calendar to get started on your own journey to a successful business today. Currently, you can join our free community on Facebook at the Motherhood Anthology Community. In this group, you'll find warm, open, and generous motherhood photographers to bounce ideas off of and pull knowledge from. 
You may also connect with us at the Motherhood Anthology on Facebook and Instagram. WB Yates said it best, education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in on this episode. Check back next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Motherhood Anthology podcast. From Ireland to yours, until next time, friends.